0: Good morning, Covenant. How you doing? So great to see you this morning and also to those of you who are either a part of our family watching from home or for those of you who've just joined us online. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus and invite you, uh, those of you watching as well as those of you in the room right now, to just pull out your phones and share uh, this message that is about to be preached. Somebody might need some hope today. And I am absolutely honored to stand in a place like this. The weight, the gravity of that uh, doesn't always hit me the way it should. Um, And I'm not nearly thankful enough for it, nor do I think uh, God's people are thankful for this one fact, that regardless of what is transpiring in our world, whether there are wonderful things that we are tempted to make idols out of, or whether there are horrible things that we are tempted to lament and despair that once a week the the people of God come together and they are reminded that there is really only one ultimate reality. God is, and God has spoken. And that never has and never will change. And so I want you to uh, to join me in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series this morning, Blessed. We've been reevaluating since really the beginning of the fall season, what does this word mean? We have been tempted in a a day and age where, frankly, most of us, regardless of our faith background or worldview, have been rather spoiled. And one of the evidences of that is is that we always associate this term blessed with with something tangible, even with a good relationship, with a new car, with an advancement at work, with a salary increase, with any number of things that may be going on in our lives. And what 2020 has taught us is that uh, there are any number of those things, or maybe even perhaps all of them, that could be taken from us at any moment and that we have ultimately no control over that and so how do you live blessed in the middle of that and thankfully 2,000 years ago Jesus gave us a definition of what it means to be blessed that doesn't have anything to do with any of that there is immeasurable joy there is a hope for your future there is a state of being that's not contingent on any of those things And so as we continue this morning with with what that means and we start unpacking this definition, my prayer is that your eyes will be continually opened. You know, college football has given us some of the most inspiring films in all of America. And and one of those films, I'm kind of sad to bring it up this morning because it originates on the campus of a school that beat my team in double overtime last night, the the University of Notre Dame. How many of you have seen the movie Rudy? Rudy. All right, there's a few of you here, seen Rudy. For those of you who have not, I'm going to tell you what it is. For those of you who have, just indulge me a couple of minutes while I bring the culturally deprived up to date. Okay, this is an amazing film. Uh, There is this young man named Daniel Rudinger. He grows up in in Juliet, Illinois, about 30 miles south of Chicago. He and his family are rabid Fighting Irish fans. They gather around their black and white television every Saturday with almost a religious-like devotion. They love this team, and it's been young Rudy's goal all of his life to play football for the Fighting Irish. Now, the interesting thing, though, is even though his family along with him are fans of Notre Dame they're not really fans of Rudy's dream and that includes Rudy's own father who thinks this whole thing is just silly and as the movie plot unfolds you have to admit Rudy's father has a point there are some legitimate barriers to Rudy getting where he needs to go he doesn't have the frame to play the sport he doesn't have the body mass for it he doesn't have the speed for it all right so there now we're 0 for 3 how about 0 for 4 he doesn't even have the grades to get in And so he enrolls at Holy Cross College in the hopes that maybe he can get his GPA up and he can transfer, that by some small sliver of hope, he might be able to get into the school and perhaps even dress out one day and play for the fighting Irish. Now, here's one other quality about Rudy in this movie, and you see it throughout. He is relentless. He is singular in his passion, and at the end, he gets accepted, he's invited to dress out. And he is so excited to call his dad. He says, I want you to come to South Bend, and I want you to see me play. And there's a picture coming up here of his father, Daniel Rudinger Sr., the very first time he steps into that stadium in South Bend, Indiana. All his life, he's been limited to watching it on a black and white television. That stadium, and he sees that stadium full of people, and he hears the noise, and his senses are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. You can see the look on his face, the look of a positive kind of overwhelming sense on his face. And then he utters this phrase, this is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen. You ever had a moment like that? A moment, maybe it was a national landmark or a location that you had only seen in pictures or videos before, and all of a sudden you see it in person and your senses are overwhelmed to the point of tears, and you think to yourself, "I had no idea that it looked like this, that it was that beautiful." Well, this morning, I recognize that you and I have walked through a, a, a number of months together that have, as a whole, not been beautiful, have they? A lot of things that are kind of tough. And there is a promise in the middle of where we sit right now, in the middle of Scripture. Jesus, in his description of the blessed life, tells us there's a Rudy's dad moment coming for you. If you belong to me, you've got that kind of experience, and it's going to come. It is available to everybody in the sound of my voice. And Jesus describes it for us in Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now before we unpack exegetically what this, what this verse means, let's stop for just a minute and, and just think about how profound that statement is. Sometimes on the other side of the history of the atonement and, and our invitation to just walk boldly anytime we want, any place we want, into the presence of God, we forget exactly the weight of what it is that we're being invited into because we live on the other side of that veil. And so let me just remind you what an awesome privilege it is to see God, because Moses didn't get to. In Exodus 33, Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory. I talked about this text a little bit last week. Here's the Lord's response in Exodus 33 20. You cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. I'm not going to show you, and it's not because I'm being mean to you. Moses, you wouldn't survive this. So I'm not going to reveal it to you. In Isaiah 6, the prophet's given a vision of God that overwhelms all of his senses, sight, smell, especially hearing. It's an almost deafening level of noise in that temple. And the presence of God's holiness is so potent and so powerful, Isaiah's own conclusion is as follows. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In fact, we're even warned in the New Testament to be careful to not be too cavalier when we're in God's presence. The writer of Hebrews says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Think about all of that. When you think about the fact that Jesus has just told us in Matthew chapter 5, there is an ability that Abraham did not have. Moses did not have. None of the other prophets or Isaiah had it, but you can. I have come and I am giving it to you. But it requires this one quality. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's that mean? Jesus is speaking to our passion. And by that, I don't mean just the emotion that like I felt last night after staying up in double overtime and going, well, that was a waste of time, right? I, I don't mean that. I, I mean the very seat of your heart, the very seat of your emotions. And Jesus describes this passion with three characteristics. He tells us first that it is a devoted passion. It is to be pure in heart. What has to be pure is the heart. It's a metaphor, but when God looks at my heart, is he pleased by what he sees there? And when Scripture speaks of the heart, it's speaking of the seed of our soul, the seed of our affections. In many ways, we could use another metaphor, the headwaters, if you will, of who we are. Proverbs Solomon uses this same analogy in Proverbs 4:23: "Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's where everything starts, right? So if it's pure, everything downstream is going to be okay. There's actually a spot. I don't know if you know this or not, in Minnesota. Few people even recognize it's there, and it is the headwaters of what will eventually, after a few more tributaries, will become the mighty Mississippi River. So what starts in this innocuous, barely noticeable place, 2,300 miles later is the mighty Mississippi that is emptying out into the Gulf of Mexico near the city of New Orleans. And if you think about it, all you'd really need to do is drop the right amount of poison in that one spot, and everything downstream gets affected by it. And so you've got to keep that pure, don't you? That's true of your heart. If there is impurity in my heart, everything, everything downstream gets affected by it. And so that passion has to be devoted. It has to be singular. This is why, by the way, God, in giving the Ten Commandments, listed this one as number one. You shall have no other gods before me. None. I want everything. You ever heard that? Just put God first and everything. That's a lie. You don't put God first. God doesn't want first. Can you imagine my wife coming to me, which she would never ever do, but she's heard me give this illustration before, so it won't bother her. So don't look at her. Okay. If she came to me and she said honey we've been married for almost 27 years now and you know i love you but we i think we both need a a little variety and i've fallen in love with another man and i i just think he's wonderful and everything but i still think you're wonderful and and so what i'd like to do is to to bring him home and and i'm but but but, honey you're first you're first So you get to make the call. Where do you want this man? I want him in front of my fist and under my boot. That's where I want him. This is is the Lord. Don't talk about putting me first. I want everything. And until I get everything, there are going to be things downstream in your life that are going to be contaminated. And so we've got to work on, on, on purifying that. We've got to purify that. Now, here's the problem. God tells us in his word that our hearts default in the other direction. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So just just trust your heart. No! Are you stupid? Trust your heart? Here's more bad news. Religion just makes it worse. It just makes it worse. Listen to Jesus' words to the the men of his day who said, we're going to purify ourselves. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate and that outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That was said to upstanding, law-abiding, tax-paying, Bible- literate people. Whatever this impurity is, it apparently looks rather attractive sometimes on the outside, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis wrote an essay back in the 1940s that actually turned into a speech to college students. He called it the inner ring. And in a very atypical speech to college students, because normally you want to fire them up and make them feel really good about themselves and everything else, this is how he opened it up. He said, some of you will turn out to be scoundrels. And I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. You're going to want inside an organization. Maybe it's this campus. Maybe whatever it is. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a job or some other civic organization. And you're going to discover that there's a group inside the inside. Okay, So on a college campus, maybe it's a sorority or a fraternity. If it's, if it's a company, maybe it's upper management. If it's a church, maybe it's the elders or the deacons or whatever. You're going to discover there's an inside to the inside. And you're going to be tempted to want nothing more than to just go deeper and deeper still. Now the desire for that in and of itself is not inherently evil. But Lewis warned those students it can get to a place where it collides And becomes a competing interest with what God has called you to be. And if you don't see that, then it's going to be like peeling back the layers of an onion. Where you're just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. But then when you get to the center, you're going to find out there is no center. Lewis said, avoid that lust for the inner ring. And seize what God has gifted for you to do. So to see God, that has to be our focus. It has to be singular, devoted, untainted passion for Him. But as we've already seen, our well has already been poisoned, hasn't it? And that's why this passion also has to be a grace-empowered passion. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. That, That word ought to be evidence enough, shouldn't it, to us that in our own strength, The blessed life is out of reach and the reason it's out of reach is because purity is out of reach I can't get there and neither can you in fact toward the end of this first section. Jesus Jesus will explicitly say the following in Matthew 5 48 you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect It's almost comical the number of times I've heard teachers and preachers try to explain that away Well, it doesn't really mean perfect. no, that's literally what it says Those are the actual words of Jesus. Perfect. That's what he said. You must have a totally pure heart. And he's simultaneously saying to us, no one is perfectly pure in heart. For that matter... So we're going to roll the tape back a little bit to everything else we've looked at in this series. There is no one on the planet who perfectly exhibits poverty of spirit. There's no one who perfectly mourns their sin. There is none of us who is perfectly gentle and humble. There is none of us who perfectly hungers and thirsts for the righteousness of God. So, of course, none of us are perfectly pure. The way we live our lives, the things we get upset about, the way we react to things, every way in which we behave even those more altruistic things we do for each other, if we examine them beneath the surface, we recognize, standing on our own, both this purity of heart and the blessed life that it produces is out of my reach. I I can't get there. So James reminds us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't draw near to God unless your heart is pure. And your heart is not pure because you are double-minded. The the word for that is hypocrisy. You act one way, but you really are something else. You try to appear one way, but you in reality are something else. It came from the Greek drama that you're an actor. You're an excellent actor or actress. Sometimes People will tell me, because Jesus says this applies to everybody. I've had people say, I'm I'm not going to the church. I just, I mean, I know Jesus, I'll do that. I'm not having anything to do with the church because it's full of hypocrites. And every once in a while, I'm feeling just bold enough to respond with, well, why don't you come on anyway? We got room for one more of you. Because we do. I, I think about that statement the same way I think about People who greet me in the foyer and go, Pastor, that was a powerful sermon. I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that. And the bolder side of me wants to go, well, I am so sorry. I've apparently failed. I was aiming at you. I love you. Our hearts are not pure. If you could visualize with me a, a set of two concentric circles, one in the middle, one just on the outside, in the middle would be your core identity. That's who you are. That's who you are that sometimes no one even sees from God. Occasionally your, your spouse might see it or your kids or people closest to you might see it. But that's it. That's the, the person that, that you actually are. And God knows all those things about you. And then that outer circle, that's, well, let's just call that your social media personality. That's what you want everybody to see. The gap in between this outer ring and that outer ring is called hypocrisy. And so when God says, blessed are the pure in heart, It's getting at this question of whether you're willing to work to close that gap. But you can't close it by yourself. That's the harder truth still. The character God demands of us is impossible. Here's the good news. He grants that character to you, to me. He gives us what we need by grace. You want to be pure in heart? You can't. You can't get there. But God can get you there. This kind of singular passion only comes by God's grace. He has to provide it. The late Helen Keller, who was was born both blind and deaf, she was asked a question once, isn't it terrible to live your entire life not able to see? Helen Keller responded, it's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two perfectly good eyes and see absolutely nothing. The world is not blind to God because he is not there. And some of you, maybe that's the case. I don't see, where is God? Where is God? He's right where he's always been. You've heard that parable about that couple that got married and they were going out for their 10th wedding anniversary and 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 the guy had an old pickup truck with a bench seat. How many of you remember trucks with bench seats? I dated my wife with a, in a, in a in that, yeah, I like bench seats. Anyway, I'm not gonna say anymore. So they're going out on their 10th anniversary and, and the wife's sitting over on her side and she says, honey, we, gosh, it just, I think the passion's gone. What happened to us? What happened to our marriage? I used to sit right next to you in this truck. You couldn't tell where I stopped and you started and we were always making out and everything was great and what's was this wonderful relationship and he just looked over at her and he goes, I ain't the one that moved. I, I've been sitting right here. Where is God? Same place he's always been. Same place. You are not blind to God because he is not there. He is bl- you are blind to God because your heart is not pure. But the Lord can give you that singular devotion, that purity of heart. It comes by grace. And to those who receive that grace, that passion will be rewarded. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. They will have an experience that Moses was not allowed to have, that Isaiah was not allowed to have. They shall see God. One of the things my kids love to do when we go, and we uh, earlier in the summer we went to East Tennessee for a week of vacation, downtown Gatlinburg, Tennessee, has this place called Ripley's Mirror Maze. It is. If I were ever going to have a seizure, it, it would happen there, right? I mean, you just, you walk in and and you've got, there, there's all these mirrors and just the mirrors by themselves with, you know, selected lights and where there's, and everything kind of looks, you know, and you think you're going to go in one direction and they warn you, they give you these clear gloves, like pre-COVID, like clear gloves, because they don't want you getting fingerprints on the mirror. And they're like, please keep your hands out front. And, and I, and I, the first time I went through because you're I have a PhD you want to hear how smart I am I'm like yeah yeah whatever whatever like it hit me right there (laughs) so keep your hands out right you gotta you you gotta feel around this stuff And, and um and then on top of all that you you have lights going on and off. Then you have lasers being pointed and they're refracting off of those mirrors. And you don't know if you're going or if you're coming. There's this overwhelming drone music playing. I mean, every sense you have is put on steroids when you walk into that place. And because it's a 3D experience, when you first step in, everything's blurry. So that just makes it tons better. But when you take the 3D glasses they've given you and you put them on, all of a sudden, it, it doesn't stop being overwhelming, but it becomes overwhelmingly clear. And you can now find your way out of it. Everything comes into focus. You know what Jesus is teaching us here? A pure heart for God is the lens through which the overwhelming presence of God becomes clear to you. That's when you see him most clearly. George Strait wrote this song back in 2008, I Saw God Today. Some of you who have good musical tastes like me, you know that song, right? And he talks about, in, in the narrative of those lyrics, how he saw God in the birth of his son, in a flower bursting through the concrete sidewalk, and in this, this experience of seeing God through otherwise just common stuff is also described for us in Scripture. King David saw it in a thunderstorm. Look at the 29th Psalm, the voice of the Lord. How many of you are like your pastor, and every time a thunderstorm comes up, you're tempted to first go with, man, now I can't do what I was planning to do outdoors. Here's here's where David went. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. When my heart is pure, I will see the presence and the activity of God everywhere. But, But ultimately, it's not about this earth. This is ultimately a promise of the afterlife. It it teaches me that no matter what I'm going through right now, I can see the hand of God. And it brings me to trust the purpose of God because in the end, I will be with him. I know a lot of people have been through a lot of hard stuff this year. Some of you have been through some way harder stuff than your pastor's been through. I don't want to take away from that. But I do want to encourage you with this comparison. Compared to Job, you've had a pretty good year. And listen to what Job says. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Blessed are you if your passion is devoted and singular. Blessed are you if your greatest desire in this moment is to close the gap between who you are presently and who God created you to be. Blessed are you if the headwaters of your heart contain untainted devotion to God. Because if these things are true, you will see him everywhere. You will see him when you go to dinner. You will see him when you go home. You will see him when you go to school. You will see him everywhere at work. You will witness his magnificent activity until the day you die and you see him as he is you will see him. Los Angeles Times carried a story way back in 1982, feature story of a woman named Anna Mae Penica. She was 62 years old at the time, and she'd been blind from birth, and at age 47, she'd married her braille teacher, and for the next many many years after that, he saw for both of them until he lost his own vision. As they both began to age from a disease called macular degeneration. And so they both went for many years with neither one of them ever seeing a green spring or a, a blue sky. And then all of a sudden in October 1981, Dr. Thomas Petit of the Jules Stein Eye Institute at the University of California, Los Angeles, performed surgery on Anna Mae, removing rare congenital cataracts that she carried from birth from the lens of her eyes. And Anna Mae saw. For the first time in her life and she said everything is so much bigger and brighter than i ever imagined she also noticed that there was a lot of people that she had met before that looked very different than she had pictured them in her mind and all these new revelations came true all of a sudden things she thought she understood now come into a sharper focus her vision was 2030 by the way that's enough to pass a driver's test in the state of california and here was the irony of that miracle. Surgical techniques for this correction, they'd been available as far back as the 1940s. And so for 40 of her 62 years of life, Anna Mae Penica lived in a needless state of blindness. She did not have to live that way. And neither do you. Most people are spiritually blind. Even some seemingly blind spiritual people scripture tells us they walk around every day completely oblivious to a presence of god that could otherwise overwhelm their senses and change their life and they walk around without hope because all they can see is this temporary world and we're realistic enough to admit this temporary world has been revealed To us these last few months, just how cruel and how fickle and how unpredictable it can be. If you're walking around blind to the presence of God this morning, there is a cure that has existed for 2,000 years, and it does not require anything about your life, the external circumstances of your life to change. It doesn't require you to get one cent richer, one IQ point smarter, one inch taller, one more ladder rung, more powerful. It requires nothing because it ain't about you at the end. It is a cure that has existed for 2,000 years and you can walk out of here today and for the rest of your life, you can embody the promise of Jesus in Matthew 5, 8, but it comes in this way. This famous Phrase this famous statement from Jesus to the religious leader Nicodemus in John 3:3. 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You want to see? This is how you get there. Four things here in conclusion. Number one, you have to be absolutely honest about your heart's current condition. Now, this is dangerous. I, I'm going to tell you. It, it, particularly if you're one of those people who just knows what you know and nobody's ever going to convince you otherwise. All the things going on around you right now and you think you've got it figured out, ask the Lord sincerely to send the Holy Spirit to pull the blinders back and reveal the true contents of your heart that that may cause some misconception and just put a seatbelt on before you do. Because you might be horrifyingly shocked how many times have I thought I knew what was going on what God was doing in my life I know what was going on. How, how many times in my walk with Jesus have I been tempted to become a neo-gnostic that ancient second century heresy that allowed people to think they had some insight that nobody else could ever get. And you're going to come to that only to have the Holy Spirit pull back the layers and reveal the contamination. And in the process, I realized precisely how dumb I am because of how sinful I am. But this is the path to seeing. Earnestly ask the Lord about your current heart condition. Number two, acknowledge that God is the only one who can make that heart pure. James has already told us, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The closer you are to God, the more aware you will be of your own sin. The closer you are to God, the more singular your mind will be, the more pure your passion will be. Number three, fill yourself with the word of God. I said something at the outset here. Let me... Let me reiterate it again. One of the things I love about the Lord's Day is that it is an every seven day reminder that God is and God has spoken and God ain't spoken through Facebook or YouTube. Open the Bible. Too many people speculating about what God might have said. We know what he said. And I don't say that out of anger. I say that out of a broken heart for people who turn everywhere except for the one source that we are told is a more sure word of prophecy. Let that be the first thing you pick up when you wake up in the morning. Let it be the last thing you read when you go to bed at night. Daily immersion, daily interaction. And then number four, think about what you will be in eternity. You and I, we were not made for this world. Make that a prominent aspect of your daily meditation. Let me read you this verse in closing. 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. If that's true, it has implications, doesn't it? And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, like Daniel Rudinger Sr., have a day coming when their senses will be overwhelmed, and all they will be able to say, This is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen. Lord Jesus, we want to see you, and we thank you that only through your death and resurrection does that now become possible. Does it even become acceptable for us to ask for it? But Lord, you promised it, and you want to give it. And so I pray for the men and women in front of me right now to be saturated in your word. I pray for the the contents of their heart to be emptied out of all but a singular devotion to you. I pray that begins in this own pastor's heart. And Father, I pray for a people who will walk around who are thought to be just a little bit crazy because they look at the world a whole lot differently, because they see it through a lens. Of a pure heart, and they see you everywhere. And they see your sovereign reign, and they trust in you, and they walk forward with confidence, and they are filled with your spirit. And Lord, whatever's going on with them, even if it's something inside their bodies, even if it's something with their families, with uh, this world that we're living in, that Lord, their disposition would remain as constant as the word you have given us in Scripture never changing, a solid rock and foundation. May we stand on that today. And if there are those who are listening to me who've never stood there before, Father, bring them to a realization of their sins, to a recognition of their need for Jesus. And Lord, may they come to know you today. I ask this in the name of your son. Amen.